All right, we're going to talk about God's identity crisis. And we've been, our, our theme, uh, is really correcting the common misconceptions of who God is, kind of cutting through some of the, 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 the visual pictures we have and some of the conflicts surrounding who God is and how we identify with God. And that's what our, our message is about. Last week we talked about, is God the traffic cop that's, you know, that's hiding around the corner waiting to catch you doing something wrong? Um, or is he that person you can count on? And we've already talked about that during the, 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 uh, the uh, communion time. Here's a question for you that I want you to turn around and talk to people around you about. Uh, see if you can answer this question. Is God old? All right. Is God an old person? All right. Is he old? Turn around and talk to somebody and just tell me what you think. Is God old? All right. Did you get that all figured out? You know, in the, in the Bible, uh, the terms that are used for God are things like He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's, you know, He's timeless. He's the Ancient of Days. And, um, uh, and the, many of the depictions, especially in art, uh, when they're trying to depict God are of an old man. You know, lots of white hair. Um, you know, uh, the Sistine Chapel, that famous picture of God. He's reaching down and touching uh, Adam. And someone said his other hand is up here reaching for a bottle of Metamucil. <laughs> because he looks so old. Now, he's a pretty fit old guy, but um, he looks old in that depiction. And, uh, and, and oftentimes people think of God as old. Now, of course, just the thinking of God having a human body the way we have a body, depicting him in art, um, is, is really part of the problem we have in understanding who God is. Because whenever we refer to God, we have to refer to him in metaphor. God is like. We, we really don't know what God looks like or what he is like. We, we really don't understand the essence of God. But when, when we look at God and, and we have these pictures, they're all metaphors. And, uh, and, and if we have this metaphor of God as an old person, it, it can be a, a damaging picture of God in our understanding and relationship with him. Because in our culture, because metaphors are always cultural, right? You know, in, 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 in the Bible, it talks about God in all kinds of different metaphors. God's a shepherd. Well, I don't understand anything about shepherds. I don't know any shepherds. I know some people with a last name, Shepherd. I worked for a man. His last name was Shepherd for 21 years. Uh, but he didn't have anything to do with sheep. He didn't have a staff. And, he, you know, I, he didn't look like anything like the shepherds that came to visit Jesus at the manger. I know nothing about that. But to people in, in, in New Testament times, understanding a shepherd, that was made a clear picture to them. And, you know, when I picture an old person, our culture, we picture an old person, we, we automatically think of a person, well, yeah, they're still alive, but their influence is limited. You know, like, like what someone said, it's a way of dismissing God's influence without rejecting him. He's alive, but he lives in a trailer park in Florida. Right? That's what old means in our culture. He's someone that, that, yeah, they're still, they're still kicking, they're still going on, but they're irrelevant to society today. Some people get hung up on the, uh, in the metaphor of, 
of God being a male. They, they, you know, the whole God has, we refer to God with the personal pronouns of a male. We say he, him, his, all right? Some people get hung up on that because, because, you know, they have difficulty with that, that concept. There's misogyny involved in, in God only being male. The truth is God isn't a man and he's not a woman. He's not either. He's not a man or a woman any more than he's a chicken. Because the Bible calls him a chicken. It said he's like a mother hen gathering his chicks. Now, God, does he look like a chicken to you? You see, there are all kinds of... God is called a rock. Do you think God's a lump of rock? Is he granite or marble or limestone? Or sandstone. Look, what is he? You see, these are metaphors that 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 um, give us a picture of God because God is like these things, but He is not these things. But this idea that God is old is dangerous because old people in our culture are generally viewed as being out of touch. They 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 you know they're they're they're. They're, um, they, they don't really know what's really hip and cool and going on. I had my two oldest granddaughters in the car with me the other day, and they said, they told me that their life is much harder than my life would have been at their age. <laughs> you see, they, they knew that right off. And, um, because I'm old and I'm out of touch. You know, I can't, I, I don't, they, they were talking about TikTok. I have no idea what that is. It's a clock, isn't it? No. You see, this is what J.B. Phillips said. He said this many years ago. He said, there's a very real danger that we will imagine this God not as merely old, but as old-fashioned, and may indeed be so impressed with God's actions in times of old that he may fail that we may fail to grasp the idea of God operating with unimpaired energy in the present and leading forward into a hopeful future. You see, if we think of God as being old, and worse yet, if we think of him as being old fashioned, then we think he's just, you know, he's in those waning years of his life when, you know, if he has a good day. He might be able to, you know, think clearly, but most days he could be a little bit confused and certainly doesn't understand what we're going through in this modern age and in this modern era. And that is dangerous because then we fail to understand that God has relevance today and in fact that he actually has an interest in the future. He's not just waiting to die. He's, he's more alive than we could ever be in our own life. God is still in touch. You know, and when we think about some of these metaphors, we understand that to th- these things become so difficult. They're cultural. Let's go back to this idea that, you know, that, that, um, of man and woman, you know, uh, the biblical, that, you know, the, the, the he, him, God which I'm very comfortable with personally because that's just how I've understood God my whole life and I'm, I don't have a problem with it. But I know, understand some people might. But when you look at Bible and the cultural times of the Bible, you understand why God is always referred to as he or him because women were property. 
They didn't have any power. They didn't have any, they weren't, they weren't credited with, uh, with great intellect. They were thought of in very, very negative ways. And they were the property of either their father or their husband. And if they didn't have a father and they didn't have a husband, they had no worth at all. Their worth was in being owned or belonging to a man. So in, in, if, if, you know, if, if God tried to establish himself in the world um, as a woman in ancient times, that would have been completely impossible. There would be no respect. And so I don't have a problem personally if people feel more comfortable um, with using a feminine pronoun to describe God. I believe God is as much a man as he, as he is a woman. In fact, the Bible gives God many feminine qualities, what we would traditionally call fen- feminine qualities. He's called this, you know, the hen gathering the chicks. Uh, the psalmist says that, you know, when he's calm and he's peaceful, he's like a weaned child at his mother's breast, referring to his relationship with God. He's, a, he's in that calm state. Well, you know, when, I, I mean, if, if you're a nursing mother and your baby is young, then it can be stressful holding your baby because the baby just sees you as, you know, a milk truck and just wants to eat at that moment, Right? But once the baby's weaned, then mom isn't that, you know, there's a whole different relationship that comes into play there. And the psalmist refers to God in that way. like a, He's like a, a mother to me. And so there's not a problem with that, but we get hung up on those things and they're not valuable. But the danger is, is that when we view these things in our context and they have a different context in the Bible, it's dangerous. You see... If we feel that, that God is old, well, in, in, in Bible times, an old person was a revered person, was a respected person. They were a person that had a lot of, you know, um, they, they probably had lots of children, they had, they had, they had accumulated possessions, and they were, they were seen as being very, very valuable to society. In our culture, Old people aren't so valuable. And, and you know, th- there is that picture of being out of touch and out of place. But what about reverence for God? Does it help us to think of God as old, to, 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 to reverence him? Um, and for the, an experienced Christian, someone that's been a Christian for a long time, you might think, oh, yeah, it's great to be to serve the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of our forefathers. We may look back and we may, may, may take great um, pleasure in that. But for a young person or someone new in the faith or someone who doesn't understand, that just to think God, God is someone that's, that's attached with everything that is ancient doesn't necessarily stir up reverence and honor in their minds. What we need to understand is that whether God, we depict him as old or young, God is in the here and now, and he's, he's as current today as he was uh, 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth. Hebrews 1.11 says, Earth and sky will wear out, but not you, talking about God. They become threadbare like an old coat. You'll fold them up like a worn-out cloak and lay them away on the shelf. But you'll stay the same year after year. You'll never fade. You'll never wear out. You see, I'm going to wear out. My grandkids know that already. 
My kids know that already. They know I'm wearing out. But God will never wear out. He's always current. He's, he's up to date in everything. And he has a part to play. Well, if God's not an old man, what is he? How could we look at him more positively? Well, let's think of God for a few minutes this morning as a trusted leader, as a, as a powerful leader with important work to do, and he needs some help. And he's calling you and me to help him. You see, Jesus, when he tried to describe God, he didn't, he usually didn't, um, break it down to one word or some, one little picture like that. He told a story. He would tell a story. And he would tell a parable, they call, we call it. Jesus told parables. And he described God through these stories. So here in Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 27, Jesus tells a story. It says, while he had their attention, and because they were getting close to Jerusalem by this time, an expectation was building that God's kingdom would appear any minute, he told this story. There was once a man descended from a royal house who needed to make a long trip back to headquarters to get authorization for his rule and then return. But first he called ten servants together, gave them each a sum of money, and instructed them, operate with this until I return. But the citizens there hated him, so they sent a commission with a signed petition to oppose his rule. We don't want this man to rule over us. And when he came back, bringing the authorization of his rule, he called those ten servants to whom he had given the money to find out how they had done. The first said, Master, I doubled your money. He said, Good servant, great work, because you've been trustworthy in this small job. I'm making you governor over ten towns. The second man said, Master, I made 50% profit on your money. He said, I'm putting you in charge of five towns. The next servant said, Master, here's your money, safe and sound. I kept it hidden in the cellar. To tell you the truth, I was a little afraid. I know you have high standards and hate sloppiness and don't suffer fools gladly. He said, you're right that I don't suffer fools gladly. And you've acted the fool. Why don't you at least invest the money in securities so I will have gotten a little interest on it? Then he said to those standing there, take the money from him and give it to the servant who doubled my my share. He said, but master, he already has double. And he said, that's what I mean. Risk your life and get more than you ever dreamed of. Play it safe and end up holding the bag. As for these enemies of mine who petition against my rule, clear them out of here. I don't want to see their faces around here again. Well, it's an interesting little story that we have told many, many times, at least for someone like myself who's been in the church a long time. I've heard this story many, many times. We often call it the, the, the parable of the talents because the, the, the master or the, the would-be king gives talents or gives money um, to these servants. It's interesting. He gives money to 10 servants, but only three report back that we know of, okay? Um, and, um, and what do we take from this? What, what do we learn about God from a story like this that Jesus is trying to articulate to people what God is like? Well, many of the times that I've heard this story taught, there's a, it comes with a strong warning that God is... Uh, he is a harsh master, 
and they focus on the harsh words of the would-be king and how he treats that third servant who doesn't bring back any return on his investment and how he treats those who oppose him. But you know, if you interpret the, the, the parable that way, there's a problem because that's exactly the thing that he is criticizing that third servant for, of dismissing their responsibility because he's such a harsh master that he doesn't, you know, that he doesn't, uh, um, uh, accommodate fools and foolish ways of living. That's exactly the misconception that the third servant had. He had that conception so deeply that he just hid the money away in the cellar. So I would think it would be funny if that's really the, the, the picture that we're trying to get of God is someone who is ready, again, to, to punish those who don't meet his expectations. Or is it that God is generous? He's just he has, he has a, a real sense of justice, but he's also very generous. And he desires to give good things to us, to honor his faithfulness with our faithfulness. You see, the interesting thing about this story is that the king, who I believe represents Jesus or God, I, I, I believe what he's doing is he widely distributes his gifts, his talents to people. You notice he gave them to ten different servants in this story. And only three brought any, even approached him afterwards. You see, he's generous to the point of graciousness, of actually risking giving things to those people without demanding anything back, without, without saying, this is what you have to do now. God is a generous and giving God. Jared Stevens says this, In a world filled with pain and fear and confusion, there is a God who is more good, more generous, and more full of grace than we could possibly imagine. You see, here's the picture. Now, a parable is not an allegory, so you can't take every little bit of the parable and say this is like this and this is like this. But when we generally look at it, we see a king who goes away and is is, is waiting authorization to come and establish his rule in the kingdom. And that, to me, speaks of what Jesus has done. That speaks to me of what Jesus was saying of how the kingdom was going to come about, because that was the question that was being raised. How is the kingdom going to come about? And Jesus said, well, it's like a king uh, who went away to get authorization to establish his kingdom, his authority. And in the meantime, he gave out many gifts to many people. He lavishly poured out his gifts on people. And when he comes again, those people who participated, who received the gifts with gladness, who took responsibility for working for the sake of the king, will share in the kingdom that's coming. You see, what I believe Jesus was teaching and what he's telling us about God is that there's an open invitation to everyone to be able to participate in the rule and reign of Christ in the coming kingdom. You see, Jesus didn't come just to to forgive our sins. He didn't come just to make our life a little bit better. He didn't just come to, to, to make us better people. He came to establish a kingdom. And when we look at Jesus' death, his resurrection, then comes his ascension. 
Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to get ready for what is to come. And in the meantime, he said to his disciples, go and do the work of the kingdom. And so in this season, while Jesus is, is ascended on high, we could say he's at the right hand of the Father. He's waiting for that, that trumpet call, that moment when he is called to establish his kingdom fully. In the meantime, he says to you and me here, I've given you gifts. I've given you talents. I've given you blessings. Now what are you going to do with them? Why don't you join me in the work of the kingdom? You see, this story isn't one about punishment. This is one about invitation. It's about a chance for us to get doing what Jesus is doing. It's to get involved in the work of the kingdom. It's it's to get involved in bringing justice to our world. It's to getting involved by by helping kids who are, are at risk because of poverty and because of all kinds of abuse in the world that we have. It's about us making a difference in their lives. It's about us making the difference in the lives of, 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 of people around the world. It's about us raising our own kids to know who God is and to be in love with God. It's about us doing our part in this world to make this world a better place. You see, Jesus came not just to forgive our sins and make our life a little bit better. He came to restore all things to himself. That's the work that God is doing. And he invites you and he invites me to share in that, to use the gifts and talents you have. For some of us, that the talents and gifts come in the form of money. We have money and we should be generous with the money God has given us. For some of us, it's talents like like being able to play the guitar. For some of it's being able to, to, to help with kids in, in, at City Kids or help with our own kids club here at church or, or to, to, to coach a, a little league team or, 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 or do something to help kids discover who they are and who they can be in the kingdom of God. You see, God calls every one of us into active work in his kingdom. And he's not some old man up in heaven with a cane just waiting till he croaks. He's alive. And the Bible says he's coming again. And when he comes, he comes with the power and the authority of the great creator to restore all things to himself. And his invitation to you and to me, is to work with him in that process. And when he comes again, I hope that he finds you and me doing what he asks us to do. And that we will then be welcomed into service with him for eternity in the great new heaven and the new earth that he's promised to us. So I trust this morning that you will see that God isn't some old man who's past his prime. He's not like me at all. In that way. And he may have beautiful gray hair like me, but, and it may be longer and flowing like the other Pastor Michaels, but, (laughs) but he's active and he's inviting you into that activity with him. And I don't know how you see your relationship with God, 
But it's more than just a, a, an exchange of your sin and his forgiveness. It's an invitation into his world and into what he's doing. And I encourage you today, whatever your relationship with God is, to say, Lord, I want to be about your business. I want to be doing your work. I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to help wherever I can. I want to I use the gifts and the talents that you've given me to participate in your kingdom work. Lord, I pray today that as we continue to delve into these uh, different pictures of God, as we look at these limited little visuals that we have, we have that come from the Bible and come from our own culture and our own way of thinking about things, Lord, I pray that we would be able to see past that and see who you really are and understand that this is such a vital invitation that you give to us welcoming us into your kingdom, welcoming us into partnership with you to do the work, to bring justice, to bring liberty, to bring life, to bring healing, to, bring, to, to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. I pray that you'd help us to understand that and see that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to continue this week in our discussion about this in our, in our connection groups. If you didn't get...